Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Late Wednesday afternoon, I attended my Jewish Christian dialogue group. This month we were talking about evolution and how it's affecting our public schools, our universities, and in some cases, our faith communities. Uh, I heard uh, Rabbi Charles Sherman say something uh, that was in direct keeping with what I'd been taught when I was in seminary. This, the Jews count their history to Abraham and Sarah. And everything before Abraham and Sarah is seen as a prehistory. So there are ten chapters right on the front of the book of Genesis about how things came to be as the Jews found them in the time of Abraham and Sarah. So you have a story of creation to tell you why there is daylight and why there is dark. Why you have seasons, why you have birds in the air and fish in the waters, animals in the woods. There are stories to tell you why we do not all speak the same language, but have many different languages. Why we have great storms, but a God who cares about Israel and places a rainbow in the sky to remind them that he's always caring, always loving, always wanting to be of help to them. History begins with Abraham and Sarah. But before that... We had people, we had sin, we had hurt and pain, some joy. We had all the things that they found when Abraham and Sarah arrived at the little community of Ur in modern-day Iraq between the Tigris-Euphrates River valleys and heard the call of God. To deal with this passage, you need to keep in mind the little formula I gave you last Sunday. 200, 400, 200, 400. It will really help you. Abraham and Sarah finally had a child of the promise of God, Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah would have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, with two wives and two handmaids, would father 12 sons. That period is called the period of the patriarchs, 200 years. At the end of that 200 years, because of a great drought, the people moved south to Egypt looking for grain, discovered Joseph there, who invited his family to move down where he could care for them. And then a Pharaoh came to power who knew not Joseph, who owed him nothing. 
and they endured 400 years of slavery. 200 patriarchs, 400 years of slavery under an Egyptian king. Then came Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Joshua, who led them across the river, who helped them distribute the land among the 12 tribes that had descended from the 12 sons of Jacob. They lived for 200 years under what political scientists called an amphictyony, a loose confederation of tribal groups that come together against a common enemy. And these being people of God, they prayed to God in such times and God produced a leader for them. We call these people judges. Samson, Gideon, Jephthah, uh, Deborah, uh, Eli in time, Samuel. Samuel would be the last of the great judges. 200 years of them and usher in now 400 years of kings. 400 years that began almost exactly 3,000 years ago and continued for 400 years till just after you passed the 600, 8, 5, 587, 586, the Babylonians came, destroyed Jerusalem, burned after ransacking the temple and the royal palace, forced marched the king and all the best and brightest back to Babylon. King died in captivity. Never again a descendant of David sitting on the throne. Okay? 200 years patriarchs, 400 years slavery, 200 years judges, 400 years kings. We're right at the end of that 200-year period of the judges with today's lecture. The people gather and all demand that Samuel anoint a king. The reason? We want to be like all the other nations. Now that's very interesting statement because the Bible is so clear that God had chosen Israel to be unlike all the other nations. That Israel was supposed to be a holy people as God is a holy God. And you know that the word holy in English comes from a root meaning set apart. Its antecedents in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin mean the same. Set apart. That God has set himself apart to focus on Israel and the mission he's given them to the world. And God has called them to act different from all the other peoples on the earth. To be different. And now they're demanding we want to be like everybody else. Two weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal had a picture of Sharon Stone. Now that's unusual for the Wall Street Journal. So early that morning, when I saw this picture of Sharon Stone in the Wall Street Journal, I looked to see why she was in the Wall Street Journal and discovered that she was in Cannes, France, for the big film festival. She was there to try to sell more products for Christian Dior. She was there to try to convince as many as she could that if they would use Christian Dior products, they would be as beautiful and smell as wonderful as all these actresses. The problem was that in an interview, she decided to become a political consultant like a lot of other Hollywood stars. And this time she took on China and said she was unhappy the way China was treating the people of Tibet. She might have gotten away with that, but then she decided to say, and that's really bad karma, because look what it's produced, an earthquake that has killed more than 80,000 people. It seems to me that when you're not nice, 
bad things happen to you. Which sort of put her in the camp with Pat Robertson after Katrina, you remember, who said that New Orleans got hit because they have gambling and prostitution and too many people drinking alcohol and selling and using drugs. But that wasn't acceptable to Christian Dior. They said, well, then you have lost your ability to advertise for us, specifically in China. Now, here was the reason this was important to me. Because a leading advertising agency in New York City had said, we're trying to convince all of our customers that they should not use celebrities in their advertising because when you use real people, it's just a matter of time before they mess up. When you use real people, it's just a matter of time before they mess up. And so these set-apart people have really messed up at this point. They've decided they want to be like everybody else. Number two. So God then says to Samuel, uh, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me from being king over them, just as they've been doing to me since the day I brought them up out of Egypt. Now notice something Dr. Sigmund Movinkel, in his two-volume commentary on the Psalms, says that he is convinced that when pagans celebrated their harvest every fall, they had a rip-snorting big party. Too much to eat, too much to drink, too much sex with too many different people, all ending with their king being brought in on a throne, hoisted onto men's shoulders, and the people proclaiming, Behold our king, he is our God. While the Jews, when they harvested their crops, proclaimed a time of introspection, of confession. There was much good last year I could have done and did not. There were bad things I should not have done and I did. I am really sorry. I want to be set right once more with God and my community as God ushers in a new year. And Sigmund Movinkel, from the Psalms that he studied diligently all of his adult lifetime, was convinced that the Jews ended this Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur period by bringing in the beautiful wooden box that contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments which was envisioned as a throne of God. And rather than saying, Behold our King, He is our God, Behold our God, He is our King. So here this writer says, Samuel, do what they're telling you. They are not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. When they demand another king, they're rejecting my kingship. Dr. Brandon Scott said, I'm convinced that all the parables of Jesus are about the kingdom of God. What would the kingdom of God look like if it were ever real in the human experience? Dr. Alan Jacobs is a professor in the English department at Wheaton College. He was recently commenting on a survey taken in parts of Western Europe, specifically the British Isles. Now, let me remind you that the folks in England don't go to church anymore. 
Last Easter, more than 98% of the people of England did not go to church. Fewer than 2% were in church. Now they were filling out a form. And this form was about religion. They had a number of different options. But by far the majority of the people in England who filled out this survey said religion is a social evil. It is divisive. It is confusing. And then the question, where do you see this manifested most often? And they said, the United States of America. Where religion is the social evil, it is divisive, it is confusing. And then Dr. Alan Jacobs said, I'm a professor at a church-owned college, but even among our student body, even among our faculty, even in my own family, I do not believe most of the time we are making religious decisions. I wish we were, he said, making decisions based on our religious principles. The implication here, if all Christians, all Jews, all Muslims are really doing the best they know how, and if they're understanding their various books, that would be a good thing when the books are not understood and people are not doing their best, then all these terrible things begin to happen. So, what does the world look like when people aren't really paying much attention to the will and the purposes of God? Number three, God then says to him, look, I, I want you to warn the people. We're going to give them what they want, but I want you to warn them. Now, I didn't read to you Samuel's warning. The reason being that you can just read so much and still get everything done in 58 minutes and 30 seconds. But I want to read you the verses we left out. Okay, the verses we left out were verses 10 through 18. And this is what Samuel said to them. So Samuel reported to the people who were asking him for a king. The king will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards. He will take your male and female slaves. He will take one-tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, but the Lord will not answer your cry. It took about 413 years for that to come true. But it came true. I mean the part about God not answering. The taking began almost immediately. That's what kings do. They take. They take. Dr. Robert Holtz writes for Science Journal. He recently was writing about a big survey, and then that followed by a series of exercises of college students from 16 different cities in 16 different countries. He said that behavioral scientists have, in fact, devised a little game by which you can tell whether people are willing to contribute to the common good or people are willing to seek only their own good. The little test involves putting people in groups of four, giving all four 20 tokens each. Uh, there's a sort of secret way that you're supposed to contribute a token to the pot 
Uh, others can't tell right away whether you are or not, but you're supposed to be contributing to the pot. And then after all have contributed or as many as are willing to, then they declare a dividend. But you can declare for, you can see from the dividend whether everyone's participating or not. And the test shows that those times when you can see who's not participating, thereby not contributing to the common good, if you can shame the person or punish the person in some way, they come around. This time they discovered uh, that wasn't quite true. In fact, they said these 16 different cities in 16 different countries neatly divided themselves. The cities and countries where the young people did contribute a token, if some held back, eventually they could tell someone was not participating. It got to the point that almost nobody would participate. But if they could shame and in some way punish, bring consequences to the person, in time, virtually everyone was back in the game and dividends were being declared in one group. In the other group, when the identity was revealed of the one not participating, sometimes two or three not participating in this foursome, those who were pointed out as not participating actually sought revenge on the people who had revealed their identity. And what they discovered was the first group were in countries of democratic government and free enterprise system, and the students in the other group all came from totalitarian government countries. All of them had kings, queens, or dictators who took from them and took from them and took from them. You see, we don't exercise our right to vote as we ought, but we end up with the kind of government we deserve most of the time. And we understand that we've chosen poorly from time to time. Not enough of us here soon enough, I think. For example, we recently were voting on a really big enhancement to our Tulsa Community College that was rejected, but only 6% of the qualified voters went to the polls. And we had a couple of really bad bills in Oklahoma City this spring, I think, that really affected large numbers of people in a very negative way. These were people you and I elected and a judge saved us from the worst of one, and our governor saved us from the worst of the, worst of the other. But, but really negative bills and impacting horribly on certain groups of people in our state. Um, one of them would have affected our school systems very much, and I think very negatively, and our governor stepped in and vetoed that one. But we will have bigger elections coming this fall, bigger elections yet. And we will have to make decisions about that. But as long as we have a vote, a vote, we tend eventually to come around to what's best for the common good. It may be only when we're driven to desperation, but we finally come around to the common good, but not if somebody's taking from us. If they're just taking and taking and taking, we become takers as well. Takers. God knew that. Samuel knew that. The people forgot. Number four. Notice here that when Samuel first hears from the elders, it says he was displeased and he prayed to God. 
But if you were listening carefully, even better if you were following along with me, you notice that it doesn't have anything of what Samuel said to God. It has only what God said to Samuel. It says, Samuel prayed and the Lord said to him, which means what? Prayer probably is best when you keep really quiet and see what God's Holy Spirit might say to you. Um, those of you who hear me often know that Dr. Elizabeth Sherrill is one of my favorite writers. She's in her mid-80s now. But Dr. Sherrill was recently writing about planning the 60th wedding anniversary for her and her husband. And she said, I really had some experience with this because more than 50 years ago, I got to help plan the 60th wedding anniversary for my grandparents, she said. And I remember then that we hired a woman to come in and help us with all the preparation, being sure the house was all gussied up before all these people came. And this woman who was mopping the floor asked, now, now what are we getting ready for? And she said, I remember saying to her, well, we're getting ready for the 60th wedding anniversary of my grandparents. And the woman saying, that's an awful long time to live with one man. Elizabeth said, I never forgot that. She was a young writer cruising across the North Atlantic to learn more about writing in Europe. She met another young writer on that cruise on the way across the Atlantic in time they would be married in a civil ceremony in Geneva, Switzerland. She said neither of us was religious. It didn't bother us at that point in our lives about being married in a civil ceremony, but it bothered me that the Swiss made me say I would love him, honor him, and obey him. And I made it very clear to him that if I had to say the words, I would say the words, but for him not to expect that I was about to obey him. I would do my best to love and honor him, but I wouldn't obey him. And then she said a few years later, after we both had had religious experiences, I was at a retreat one weekend, a quiet, silent retreat, only the monk talking. And he's saying to us that the Latin root for to hear, audiri, from which we get words like audio, audio, audio in our English language, is also the same root for the word obey. And Elizabeth says, I was not going to obey him, but I was willing to try harder to hear him. If the word could mean that, to love, honor, and hear him, and I've tried really hard. It's different listening to a 25-year-old and a, an 85-year-old. It was different when I heard him and he was 35 and 45 and 55 and 65. But I've tried really hard for 60 years to hear him. Now, maybe this is unfortunate that in the wedding ceremony, not now in, in the Methodist ceremony, not for the last 40 years, but before that, somehow this word for hearing and obeying got all tied up together. But the reason it did was that it first came out of religious context. And in religion, when you pray, you're supposed to be really quiet and hear if God's Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. And if he does, then you do what he tells you to do.